You know, I was wondering, we don't disagree very often on the podcast. That's true. That would be fun to like, have we might have to do like outside thinking about the podcast, Yeah. but that would be very fun to like bring something that we disagree on and hash it out. Yeah. Well, and even as evidence, father, I just said that and you just agreed with me and then we all kind of, agreed. that's a bad idea. That, yeah. <laughs> no, I don't think we should disagree at all. Stupid idea. <laughs> well, maybe it's just, you know, it's the Holy Spirit unifying us, one mind and one heart. Aww. Three Dogs North is an attempt to objectify the subjective with little violence as possible. The following has been torn from its origins in space and time and put entirely at your disposal. So we're um, actually it's very beautiful out. The campus looks very, very, very awesome. Yeah, it's a, it was beautiful it yesterday. Does. This is like the best time of year. Weather wise, yeah. oh. I think it is. I think you're right. I do think you're right. Everything's green and blue on campus today. Green and blue. <laughs> Salud. That was pretty gross. I you know I think I may have a cold as well. I woke up. I'm uh, trying to figure out if it's allergies or... You can tell if it's allergies, though, by the taste in your mouth, can't you? Like, when I have a cold, I have this very distinctive taste in my mouth when I wake up in the morning. I think you're right. I think you're right. Like, I have a headache and, like, I feel like my my face is poofy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, know? I think it's a cold. You think it's a cold? Well, maybe not. I don't know how your allergies are, but when I have allergies, I can I can pretty much tell. I tell myself sometimes, oh, maybe this is allergies, but I know it's a cold. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm doing that right now as we speak. As we speak. Well, guys, I've got more feedback, positive feedback on our last week's episode than any, maybe any other episode. Really? Uh, yeah, it was str- That always happens, dude. Remember that is true. The one we did on uh, homosexuality where we were like, should we even post this? And then we just got like tons of emails and tweets. Yeah. So maybe we should just purposely do podcasts we don't think will be good. Oh, good idea, yeah. man. Yeah. Let's talk about Metz's brain. <laughs> oh, I was boring. thinking we talk about NASCAR. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I equate those two things. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I accept. My brain could have a mullet. <laughs> because it is. Honestly, it is business in the front, party in the back. And a Fu Manchu dangling down the frontal lobe. Yeah. Maybe I could somehow turn that into an Episcopal motto. Business in the front, party in the back? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude, what was the feedback? I'm curious. Oh, I, I uh, BCC'd you on most of the emails. Okay. Um, but we got a few. T- I got another one yesterday I haven't responded to from Travis Chapman, who's a, one of our Twitter followers, just saying how good it was. And mm. uh, you guys don't check the Twitter feed, do you? Of course all I do. Of course I do. All the time. All the time. <laughs> yeah, in any case, it was mostly, it was all positive. Wow, excellent. Excellent. Dude, I am feeling much better than I was last week. It was, yeah. that was a weird, it's still, even if we got good feedback, that was a weird podcast yeah. to me. Yeah, I cut out a lot of the gaps, so it, it wasn't obvious that after I ended a thought 
there was like 10 seconds of silence. (laughs) No, I apologize on that. (laughs) That's all right. Yep. 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 Dude, this Parish Sunday thing was pretty cool, by the way. What is Parish Sunday thing? So five Sundays per semester, uh, there's like a group of seminarians going with the deacon to the parish this semester. Going with the seminarian deacon? Yeah, the seminarian deacon. Huh. Um, I was pretty skeptical of it at first. I won't lie. Just because Baron was like such a big pusher of like everybody being here on Sundays. Um, but yesterday was like wonderful, honestly. Yeah, I was, I'm at Our Lady of Mount Carmel in downtown Chicago, down by Wrigley. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, That's it was a just beautiful church. It's very beautiful. Cool. Um, there's, a, just, there's a stained glass window of Mary on the front right. Mm-hmm. And she's just beautiful. Hmm. It's like I'll east to... east facing window. Okay, I'll check it's it out. It's in Max book, Heavenly City. That church. Oh, that book is propping up my computer right now. Huh? Respect, Dmac. You are the foundation of the podcast. He is. Speaking yeah. of Dmac, I've been listening to Dmac's podcast. First of all, there are there are some podcasts coming out right now that are way better than ours. That huh. are. Uh, so Dmac's one liturgy guys. It's him and Chris Carstens and that guy Jesse Weiler. And they have an intro that sounds like freaking pro, and their conversations <laughs> are way more intelligent than ours. Well, I would assume. And then I listen. No, wait, they call it the liturgy guys? The liturgy guys, yeah. He didn't say anything about this. He's been how very many, humble about it. How many episodes do they have? Oh, I want to say like 15 or something. Well, I am still pretty sold on I hate every other podcast except for Three Dogs North. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going to stick to that. But you don't yeah. even and listen I, to and that. I mean, I love Dr. Mag and Mr. Carson's. They're incredible. But that podcast probably sucks. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I hate it so much. Yeah. yeah. And then there's another one. Nobody listened to it. Don't. Only <laughs> listen to Three Dogs North. Wait, are we promoting them? I'm fine with promoting them. I don't think it sucks. And I've actually listened to it. I think we're we're promoting them without even realizing it. By talking about yeah, it. any publicity is good publicity. What have I done? Shoot. Dang it. So then... Uh, anyway, what other dumb podcasts have you been listening to? Tom Byrne texted me uh, yesterday and he said, Hey, it seems like these guys at St. Meinrad are doing the same thing you are. Uh, you should check them out. And it was called Echoes from the Bell Tower. And it's these monks at St. Meinrad Abbey. Young monks. They're both novices who are making the podcast. But I downloaded one and listened to it in the car when I drove up yesterday to have dinner with my parents. And uh, I was like, I don't know what he was thinking that they're doing the same thing we are. Because it sounds like Radio Lab. Like, they have music in the background and oh. all sorts of interviews with different monks. And it sounds really, really pro. Mm. Um, and so people are actually, like, doing podcasts. Yeah, they're actually making podcast oh oh I'm, that's good then yeah <laughs> yeah it sounds awful it's very different than what we're doing <laughs> i was like that's not at all what we're doing yeah clearly tom Byrne does not <laughs> understand what our podcast is about and another thing so i gave that survey yesterday are you tallying the results um so i made a google form that has uh all of the responses and i've I ripped through like 80 yesterday, to, like inputting them into Google, and I have mm. I have a bag of like 
probably over 500 more. Oh my gosh. I'm so curious that I actually, even though it's my day off, I might just like rip through some podcasts and, and do these forms and just input them because it's pretty mindless. That's kind of relaxing work actually. Hmm. Uh, plus I don't have anybody that works for us that could do it for me. Dang uh, it. We don't. What about JP? Oh yeah. I could just send him a package of loose leaf paper and be like, input this <laughs> without, like, without any explanation. Look, it just put at the bottom, like as form of payment and just tape like a clipping from your thumb or something or like your big toenail <laughs> relic and have a question mark. So yeah, you do it. That would be payment. So I think that just in my cursory glance at them and a, a, a sample size of 80 out of like a thousand, it was pretty varied in terms of their responses, like of why they don't go to confession more often. What questions What questions were on there? Like okay, so I'll read them again. I yeah. have the Google form in front of me. Um, so I asked their sex, their age, uh, their religious background, whether they're Catholic, baptized Catholic, or baptized and catechized, meaning like fully initiated. Uh, what their cultural background was. Like, are they full-on Americans with American parents? Are they Americans with immigrant parents? Or are they immigrants themselves? And then just two questions about confession. When was the last time you went? So either last two months, less than a year ago, one to four years ago, five to ten years ago, or more than ten years ago, or never. Hmm. And then reasons for not going to confession more often. Uh, and these are my paraphrased, just for the sake of uh, the Google right. spreadsheet. They were a little bit longer, but basic reasons are there's no convenient times. I can't think of any sins to confess. I'm not sure how to go to confession. I'm concerned the priest will judge me. I believe I believe God has already forgiven me anyway. I can't receive absolution because of a marital situation. I never received my sacraments. I don't want to stop sinning, meaning like I know I do things that offend God, but I don't want to stop, mm -hmm. so I don't want to ask for forgiveness. And then I don't feel like going. Um, just sort of the laziness one and then other. Um, so which one do you think so far is the most frequently chosen? Cause you could, they could put, they can mark all of them that apply. Mm. I, mm. Did one of them, I know you said like, I never learned how to go to confession. Was there also one that said, uh, like, I, I just don't know how. Yeah, that's the third one. I'm not sure how to go to confession. I don't know what to say kind of thing. Like, I don't know how. I would, I would go with that one. Okay, Rob? Mm. I'll go with... I'll go with the, like, God forgives me anyway. Ah, very good. So, granted, this We're is good. a very, very limited sample size so far, but that is... That is the most chosen response. I yeah. believe God has already forgiven me. Yeah. Bravo, bravo. Yep. So I don't need to go. So I was thinking about that uh, last night and this morning, praying a little bit. I looked at the Sunday readings for this coming week. And uh, it just so happens that uh, the second reading, Paul says to Tim Timothy, there is one mediator between God and man, the man Jesus Christ. And it, it was so cool because I was thinking about mediation. I was like, this is, this is the Protestant belief. Like, why do I need a middleman? Even some people checked other and they said, I don't think I need a middleman or something like that. I can right. just go straight to God. So I, I counted that as I believe God's already forgiven me. 
Yeah. Because it's the same idea. Uh, and I was thinking about, uh, yeah, the whole idea of mediation and how in the first reading yesterday, Moses is pleading with God on the mountain to be merciful to the people. And uh, the Bible makes clear that it's his mediation between God and man that sort of stays the hand of the angry God. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, the people vis-a-vis God in their sinfulness uh, have don't have a leg to stand on. It's just because of Moses' chosen status and his kind of justice, even though he's a sinner, he's not a perfect mediator like Jesus. The whole I- idea of mediation is all throughout the Bible. And uh, that we need a mediator between God and man. That's the whole thing of Christianity, that Jesus is capable of mediating God's grace because he is both God and man. Because mm-hmm. we can't, it's like trying to stare at the sun instead of staring at the at the mountains during a sunset like staring at the sun you can't see anything right you can't see the beauty of light you're just staring right at it. it's going to burn your your irises or whatever your your gosh what part of your eye would it burn your retina um cones and rods something like that probably just the rods <laughs> those cones they're tough the rods are for seeing in the dark i believe and the cones are for seeing colors anyways um yeah, so so my brother sent me this uh, text over the weekend. My brother's family is moving to a new house. Oh, nice! In Texas? Okay. Yeah, they Your bought a house. Ethan? Yeah, so he's really excited. Uh, they've been renting for a long time. Mm. They're buying a house, and uh, they're moving oof, a month or so or a few weeks. Anyways, his daughter, uh, my niece. Is maybe like nine or ten years old, and she's always been a really, really sweet girl, and uh, really nice, and kind of pious. You know, when she received her first communion, she was very excited and everything like that. And she's also a very big animal lover. And they've had these cats. They've had, literally had these two cats since uh, they were married, like fifteen or sixteen years ago. So these cats are old as dirt, dude. <laughs> And they're they're fancy cats because my sister-in-law has uh, allergies. So you know how you can get certain kinds of breeds of animals that don't give off the dander or whatever. So they're these huge Maine Coon big cats. Or at least one, the first one was really, really big. At one point, it was 20 pounds. That's, like the, that's a pretty heavy cat. It seems like a big cat. Yeah. Uh, but now it's 8 pounds. It's like just a cat skeleton with a bunch of fur on it. <laughs> and it's like having trouble walking and all this stuff. And my brother's a little, kind of like, I was talking to him last night. He's like, I wish the cats would just die so I don't have to do it. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, uh, my niece is really concerned about the cats in the new house, like whether or not they're going to be able to live in the new house and get used to it and stuff like that because they're so old. So uh, he sent this picture of a note that my sister-in-law found in my niece's room. It says, it's just on a piece of like Steno notebook paper. It says, Dear Jesus, I've always wanted to do this. I always appreciate what you do for me. Please help our cats, Lucy and Wilson, learn how to live in our new house. I love them dearly. I would love for one of your angels to come down from heaven and write anything on the back of this paper. Amen. Marissa Danstrom. 
Did you write a note on the back of that paper, Father? No, but Jesus did find it and wrote a note that said, My dearest Marissa, I will take care of your beloved cats always. Even when it doesn't seem like I am near, I am. Thank you for praying to me. Read Hebrews 4.13 and Isaiah 11.6 and you will find comfort. Heart Jesus. Mm. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, Jesus, through the mediation of uh, his angel, so to speak, I was thinking about angel has two meanings, right? Pure spirit and messenger. Messenger. And even the angels in the Old Testament always have bodies or even in the New Testament at least have voices. You know, their presence is mediated in ways that we can receive. Mm-hmm. You see what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And so uh, it kind of gets back to um, Father Sywick's whole thing. Like people lose their faith not because of a lack of evidence, but a lack of imagination. You know, like my, my niece has this imagination still that hasn't been corrupted and can grow into maturity, not thinking like, that directly a pure spirit came down from heaven and wrote uh, somehow mysteriously on the back of a piece of paper. In order to write on the back of a piece of paper, you have to have a hand and a pen and a body, you know? And God, as pure spirit, can do that. He can take on those things, but he mediates his presence through his creatures, Mm. be they angels or human beings. And, you know, the fact that someone found that note, that she didn't tell anybody that she had written, you know, that is providence and that is God's hand guiding his creatures to mediate his presence. And so is confession. And so is the mass. And like, we don't baptize ourselves. God, we don't like, I want to get baptized. So I'm going to stand by myself and wait for God to pour water on me and say, I baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. No, he uses his church and his priests and his deacons to do those things on his behalf, you know, and they are him doing them. That's, I guess that's what I, was kind of scandalous to me that so many Catholics think I can just go straight to God when the whole church, the whole religion is based on mediation. First of all, of Jesus mediating God to us through his incarnation and then the church mediating all this grace through the sacraments. And it's this Protestant idea that somehow the Bible fell out of heaven and wasn't written by human mediated hands uh, that St. Paul somehow was just like possessed by an angel and wrote this thing rather than him actually being a human writing in human language with human concerns inspired by the Holy Spirit, you know? So I, I guess it was kind of providential in that way that I, I was like, I think I want to talk about mediation in this homily coming up on Sunday. Mm. And then I look at the readings and there it is, dude. That's it. It's kind of cool that we're even talking about this because I had an experience in D.C. last weekend that I have just been dying to talk about just because it it was so striking to me. And it was all about this idea of mediation and the material. Um, well, first, I, I remember in CPE, ironically enough, all of the Protestants would praise this notion that Catholics have of confession because of the sole reason of the human reality, just the psychology behind it, that like confessing your sins to another is such a such a um, a helpful and healing and healthy thing to do. Um, and so, ironically enough, all of the Protestants would be like, "Oh, the Catholics, they got it right on this one." Like going in and being vulnerable hmm. and disposing of this matter, like the weight that you have on you. Um, so, just the very human reality of like confession stemmed from 
people going to a priest to confess their sins as not just a spiritual help, but also like a mental and truly integrated help for the human being. Um, so I always found that funny coming from the Protestants. But then when I was in D.C., we went to the Vietnam Memorial and uh, it was actually pretty cool. We took uh, a sheet of paper and Father Capadano, Father Vincent Capadano was a, a Navy chaplain who died um, heroically in the Vietnam War and his, his cause for canonization is open and they're working on it. And so we took some paper and like stenciled his name off of the wall, um, which I brought back to have his name from the memorial. Isn't it really hard to find people's names on that memorial because they're it not is. alphabetical? It is. So they have people there that both translate. They have like a French, Spanish, a hmm. Vietnamese translator, and they can also help you find the name on the wall. But we had a bunch of D.C. seminarians with us, and they knew exactly where he was. Okay. So there were military D.C. guys. So they were like, oh, here he is, boom, right there. Huh. It's a name of like... I don't know how many names there are, but it's that's, huge. I'm just like picturing that. That's very cool. That yeah. His name is there, his, honestly. Yeah. yeah, that's very cool. So that was a, a, a blast to do. But then we're, we're kind of walking around and the Lincoln Memorial is right next to it. And then you have like the, the mall, the big pond, which, you know, the big pond, which is in Forrest Gump, that leads right to the Washington Monument. And I remember walking up and thinking, like there are thousands of people that cruise around this little memorial area of DC, you know, the Lincoln, the Jefferson, the Washington, Vietnam, World War 1, World War 2, and all these are is statues. These are just huge statues of people from a bygone age who came and served and we want to honor them and we look we look to them and we we remember them. And you know, a lot of people will take their words and take them to heart and allow those people to shape their lives. And, um, I mean, a lot of people will, you know, pray in Thanksgiving to God for these people. Um, and I thought, how can you see this and then look at like the idea of iconoclasm and try and bash on that? Or this idea of like you go into a Catholic church and we see all these statues and to think that this is something that is anti-religion or anti-human or something that, um, isn't a mediator for us between us and the saints, us and the heavenly hosts, us and God. And so to see it in its purely human and secular form was just so striking to me of like, I love being Catholic. We do this when we walk into churches and we have all these statues there and this great, these great beautiful memorials and these churches that are erected for Our Lady and for the saints. Like, and we took this human thing that humans have been doing, I mean, I, mean, I would assume since the beginning of time. At least 100 those, years. At least 100 years. <laughs> yeah. Maybe 150. Well, the first human beings did it. They painted in caves, man. They, they painted in caves. And we still visit those things. And we look at them and we remember the people who came before us. And so the reality that the physical material is that mediator to like this this reality that we might not be able to see, but how much we need that. How much we need that. So the... Again, the idea of mediation as being not just something that you find in Scripture, not just a spiritual reality, but something that we as humans need. And so I thought, like, I wonder how many people, honestly, how many of these people are Protestants? And to, like, just throw out the idea of, you know, you can, we do the same thing when it comes to religious figures, not just secular figures. Um, and just to see the beauty of the the harmony of the church that we've been able to uh, really turn that into this great spiritual help, this great spiritual blessing. When I walk around campus here, 
I can identify like all of the statues here on campus because they are so important to me. They call to mind for me like where I am, what realities I'm not able to see. They bring it to mind through the physical and the material mediation that we are so blessed to be able to enjoy. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I probably kiss too many statues to be quite frank, <laughs> but um, without them, yeah, I mean, I would just, I would float around the day and totally forget about it. So it brings me back to this really concrete reality uh, that I want to live in. I'm just very forgetful. Um, so thanks be to God for that. But I, I don't know if that connects with you at all. Yeah, Rob, do you have anything? I mean, I'm just thinking it certainly is. Um, I'm trying to talk less. <laughs> You're doing a terrible job. Yeah, <laughs> fail. Um, and it's very true. Like, it certainly, I was thinking of when Mike was talking there, it's a beautiful story a priest told me fairly recently of a parish he was at um, like prior to his current assignment. But they had a... a Mary statue out front, um, big one. And, and he said he was like up in the middle of the night, like some summer night one time, kind of randomly thought he heard something. And so he got up and went outside and sure enough, there was like this drunk guy stumbling like through the, the front yard. And so he was like going to go down and tell him to, you know, get out of there or not break anything. And, but he just like watched him for a second. And sure enough, the guy like stumbled up to, um the mary statue and kissed her hand and then he just like stumbled on stumbled on his way um and there is something to that man and there's something like i remember i don't know if you were still there connor but when i when i was there at one point uh u of i did these it was like a 24 hour a confession so they had all these local priests kind of sign up for different hours of confession and then they just did they heard confessions at the newman chapel for 24 hours straight and it was a friend of mine had i think signed up for like one of the holy hours in the middle of the night and she was telling me the next day she was like yeah she was like i decided to go to confession at like it was something like three in the morning and she said there was still a line and she said this guy that was like stumbling back from the bars was in line in front of her so she started talking to him as they were waiting and I guess he was just like kind of glazed over and everything. But he told her, he was like, I've, he's like, I don't know why I'm here. I was just walking by and like knew I needed to come to come in. Wow. And, you know, she like never saw him again, like didn't know anything about him. Um, and I guess stories like that and, and like stories from my own confessions. I've never heard a confession, but just my own confessions. Like it's an intimate spot, man. Like, it's a very intimate spot. But I guess I don't know if. The other thing that kind of cued in me, um, I don't even know if it was tied in. It just kind of like flashed in my mind a little bit was, and it, I, this could be like oversimplifying or whatever, but dude, just the impact of like those sex abuse scandals, like in, in the church. Um, it's just interesting that, that people would say that in that survey to me, um, but honestly, yeah, just from like conversations with people, it's like I wasn't surprised that that was at least the leading one so far. Um, yeah, I think there's a lot of reasons. Uh, right. And I don't want to like peg it like just to that. But like, why? Why is that? You know what? Where does that? 
not and not just like the the basic ones of like well that's kind of where the culture is like it's individualistic and etc but like really where does that come from like where's the root of it yeah i wonder if it's not a rationalization that's kind of my snap judgment is a lot of these are just justifications for not going and maybe the deeper thing is i don't trust priests or maybe the deeper thing is i you know no one ever made it clear to me that it was important and i'm not well trained and i'm not comfortable doing something that i don't know how to do or i just don't feel like it you know yeah um but, I don't know, there, but there is something, and it, it's got to be something with like a that that trusting priest thing. Like there is something to that, and it, I mean, it is just it's it was honestly when I was on internship, when not a priest, but had clerics on. Honestly, the experience, like what people would share with you and like come to you with, was amazing. But it was like very much. You know, if they were getting to know you, like if they were getting to know me, if they would, if they trusted me with something, um, so I don't know. That's a little vague, but well, I mean, I, I guess just to point to the power of mediation with the the priest scandal. I remember what Spotlight that movie is this horrific movie um, that highlights, you know, the what is it the journal team that really under un- uncovers it and. And even the training that we get up here at seminary, they we talk about it quite a bit with virtues and um, mandated reporter and just safe environments, especially for kids. But a lot of the interviews with victims or other people who've been involved with it, um, like the number one thing that they say as a, a damage that was occurred because of this was that it wasn't even... Um, I mean, obviously, there's a loss of power in everything that accompanies a sex a sex abuse victim. But the thing that stuck out and, and they kept saying was, it was like my faith was killed, like they murdered my faith. And just the fact that the priest has, he has that ability. He has that power as being the mediator, the one who stands in the presence of God. Um like that that was the thing that a priest has the capability of doing, which, I mean, I think also if you look at fathers, fathers as being mediators of the father, um, that can be such a either uplifting or a damaging thing. Like these, these persons that are here um, as mediators of God the Father and his love, that when it goes bad, yeah, it's not just like the person's hurt. It's directly related to the faith. Like this is you've done harm to my relationship with God because you as a representative have done harm to me, um, which correlates to, yeah, I mean, lots of terrible things, but I just remember sticking that sticking out. Not like I'm less of a person or blah, 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 that, that would usually occur, but they killed my faith. Like my relationship with God is now dead because of that. And that's, um, I mean, it's awful. Yeah, and at the same thing. time, like I had uh, lunch with a friend over the summer and she was like, she had a very beautiful uh, conversion story. And um, she was saying that like in that story, she was telling me like there was one particular, you know, priest that had a had a very big impact on her. And I think her line 
that really stuck out to me was like, he loved me. So I knew that the church loved me. And I mean, that, that's very real too, of like, um, I, I don't know, you know, how to act exactly like put that into, to words, but it's like, you know, the same is, is true for, um, for a story like, like that as well, the impact that can, that can be made. Um, it's very real. I mean, it's very real stuff. And I, I totally get the, like the reality of, um, just how ingrained like mediation is in our nature, or at least, you know, seems to be to me. Um, so I don't know. We got yeah, any thoughts? Yeah, everything, everything is mediated for human beings. It's just sure. the nature of like the fact that I want to communicate ideas to you and listen to ideas from you means I need the mediation of language. And in this case, <clears throat> the internet and sound and all this stuff, yeah. Uh, like everything we receive is is received according to the receiver, as Thomas Aquinas. Like you you have to have a way of receiving, of getting the thing in, whether it's an idea or grace or anything. Um an image. But uh yeah, I'm thinking for the last part of this homily, if I, I just kind of did a skeleton in my brain this morning, uh, that I need to flesh out, but the gospel reading is the most confusing parable of the entire New Testament, which is be shrewd with dishonest wealth. It's so confusing, man. I'm doing the reflection for the cam. Yeah, and the only way I've ever made sense of that parable, where this guy is like, he is, you know, cast out by the master because he's dishonest. And then he goes to all of the master's people that owe him money and like cheat the master out of more money by saying like, I'm just going to forgive your debts now so that you are good to me once I have, you know, I lose my patron. And the only way I've ever made sense of that parable, because Jesus praises the dishonest steward for being shrewd, um, is that here's this guy who doesn't have a leg to stand on. He has no right to be forgiving debts because he himself is in debt that he can't repay. Yet here is the church full of human beings who owe God a debt they can't pay. And he chooses 11 guys at the beginning and then they ordain. And now we've got, you know, thousands and thousands of men across the world forgiving people's debts, you know, um, who shouldn't have the right to, but God has allowed them to and, and ordained them to do that. Uh, and so God's forgiveness is mediated through these imperfect men who don't have a right to do it except that God has given it to them. And uh, that's the whole, like the last part of the creed. You go through, I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. Okay, great. Yeah, you, you can believe in these uh, persons of the Trinity, believe in more than, than the, more than the sense of just I believe they exist, but I believe in them. I trust in them. I put my faith in them. But then the last one, I believe in the church. I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. How do you put the same kind of faith in the church as you put in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Because the church is not perfect. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't seem to deserve this same kind of trust and faith that God himself does. And it, like we're saying, it's no wonder that people say, 
I just want to go straight to God because especially in the last few years, it just seems like the church doesn't get it and it's full of these sinful guys and, and gals and uh, what's the point, you know? Why go to church? Why? And it's the same reason people stay away from mass. Well, I can pray at home. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's a distrust in the institution of the church, and it's a kind of a misunderstanding of the church as people in in uniforms and people with tall hats. That's the church, but it's not. The church is all of us. The church is the lay people and and every baptized person, uh, whether they be pope, bishop, priest, or deacon, or or lay person. Uh, and I think that, like, your friend who says, I knew the church loved me because I this priest loved me, uh, in the same way, like, John Paul II had such a profound effect on people because of his holiness and, and his love toward the youth and, and toward everyone, uh, regardless of country, of whatever, uh, that we need, we need the church, we need to have faith in the church because we need the church to have access to God. And if our faith in the church is shaken our access to the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is shaken. But the rationalization that, oh, well, just mediation is not necessary, I'm just going to go roundabout to God, is shooting yourself in the foot because you you really don't have access to God. You know, I believe that God has forgiven me for my sins. I confess my sins to God. Uh, is, you know, let's give people the benefit of the doubt. They really do. They really, really bear their souls to God in prayer. But I think that myself included, I don't have the spiritual life to really be that honest in prayer straight to God. I need to get over the fear of talking to a human being to really prove that I trust God with this stuff, you know, that I really believe that I can be forgiven and that it's not just a justification or rationalization. And that requires the ability to see that God is not so big that he can't be mediated. He's so big that he can you know, he's so great that he can become small and speak to us in, in these little words and formulas. Uh, and that's a statement about God, not about human beings, not about the holiness of the priest or the holiness of the church. It's just that God, uh, you know, through Peter, who denied Christ, can build on that rock, that shaky rock, a church which for 2,000 years, despite itself, still exists and still mediates grace. Yeah, and <laughs> I don't have, like, I guess a, an answer um, to the question, maybe. But honestly, when you were talking there, it's like, what's interesting, is, that was a very good, like, kind of exposition of that explanation but it uh that that holds true to my experience i mean more than anything else i could say on it like i was thinking cywick said the other day in his class and this is not this is his idea this is not mine so anyone that's taken that class like did you guys read Chekhov, the the bishop connor Mm, yeah i don't know but but his whole yes or no what i can't remember okay anyway um, it's a really cool short story, but I mean, the, the whole point is that like this guy dies like a sudden death, but it's in that, that he's finally loved again for himself, for who he is, not what he is. So like even his mother in the story treated him differently because he was this Bishop, but as he got sick, like she treated him as her son again. 
it's a really beautiful uh, story. And Sywick said a line in passing. He was like, suffering is what gives us back our real selves. And it was like, man, that that's very true. Um, that's very true. And I've been thinking about that a little bit. And it's like the only, yeah, like suffering and being in love are the only two things that give us back who we really are. And I've just, man, I've seen that. Like I've seen people just time and time again. And, you know, there's exceptions to this, I'm sure. But people that were like very far away from the church and in moments like of great suffering, they came back. And it was like, I, you know, nothing else could have done that besides like they remembered who they were in that. Um, I remember being with a lady that she was losing her, her husband and yeah, like, I'll never, I'll never forget it. Cause I never, like I knew these people and I never dreamed like this would come out of her, her mouth. Her husband was on life support and she just looked up like out of the, out of the blue, like nothing provoked or anything like that. And, uh, she was like, I mean, it was like decision time to take him off life support. And she was like, okay, like we need to call the priest. Like I want to have him anointed. I want him to be buried as a Catholic. And, uh, I was like, my gosh. So, I mean, does that even make sense? Like how that tied into what you were saying experientially? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, I guess it's like, the reality of dependence has to come crashing in on you at some point because the illusion that you can go straight to God without mediation, without the church, without anything you can touch, taste, feel, hear. um, It's a total illusion. It's a lie from the devil. And God saves us through our weakness, you know, Mm -hmm. and he saves us from lies and false beliefs and selfishness and egotism through feeling profoundly limited by time, by our bodies. And uh, that's the mystery, man, of the incarnation, of the crucifixion, the paschal mystery, is that God's wisdom, God's strength is made perfect in weakness. And there's this guy now, I've talked about him before, but uh, I go visit pretty much once a week, usually bring him communion. Uh, and I can tell he's dying of, of cancer. Um, and he lives by himself. I can tell that I am his best friend Hmm. maybe his only friend. Uh, and he calls me when he's lonely and I go see him. I bring him movies. He likes old movies, bring him baloney and stuff like the most simple things. Like he just, he, he, doesn't like taking things from me. He's like, Oh man, I'm going to make you poor or something. You know, he's like a really nice guy, like a sixth or seventh grade education. Mm. Um, But he just wants to, every time he's like, father, I pray rosary for you every day. And, um, you know, he doesn't really know how to pray the whole rosary. He just knows the, our father and hail Mary. And he just rocks around the the loop over and over again, praying for me and for other people, Mm. for his mom who died. And, uh, I think like I I am being saved by him. Like I I go visit him not because I'm saving him, but he's saving me. Like 
that he sees Christ in me, I see Christ in him, this mediated thing. It's the simplest thing in the world. And like, is it making a huge difference in my parish? Am I, you know, just baller, like crushing it? This is not contributing to my parish, like growing or getting a bigger collection or more people going to confession, more people going to mass. But it's like, to me, kind of the stuff of the gospel. You know, if I don't do stuff like that, I'm not being a priest because God has put us in each other's path uh, for a reason. And all that stuff, I mean, it's mediated through my conscience and my heart. Like, I got to go see him. You know, he calls me. I'm doing something else. I'm busy. But this is important, you know, even though it's one person. Um, so I, I don't know if that's too vague either, but, uh, I think that connects, you know, like the, the idea of, you know, his suffering, his disease, his loneliness and my own need to be brought out of myself. Uh, this is how salvation happens, you know, and it's mediated through the most ordinary things in the world. Dude, that, I mean, that, that notion that to me, like the notion of dependence is as close as we've come to like having our finger on whatever it is we're talking about. I mean, I, even when you were telling that story, which is so beautiful, but I don't know if I've told the story on the podcast before of the summer before I like came to seminary, I was down in Haiti for um, a mission trip down there in Port-au-Prince and Oh my gosh, man. We helped out at the missionaries of charity orphanage. And there was this little girl there named Jessie. She was like nine months, nine months old. She was super malnourished and sick and everything. And I remember I just held that little girl like the whole time we were at the orphanage. I don't know how many hours it was, but it was a long time. And uh, I just, that was like just a very real encounter for me of she was saving me. Like, I wasn't saving her. She was saving me. And then that summer was, like, super tough, and I had a lot of doubts about coming to seminary. And that was it, man. Like, that one moment, those, you know, few hours with that little girl, I literally just, like, held on to it for dear life because it, like, just did something in me of wanting to be a priest and wanting to be, you know, father to the fatherless, in a sense. And uh, I was, like... I mean, I've thought about that since um, from time to time of like in a very real way um, without that like one encounter, without those few hours with that little girl, like I honestly don't think I would have gone to seminary. I think I would have backed out. Um, that is the thing about a vocation story, so to speak. Like my vocation story for a while was so just, dependent, dude. was just stories like a very specific things or people uh you know it wasn't i wasn't going straight to god and a lightning bolt hit my heart and said you have to be a priest it was mediated through experiences you know i was thinking we need to make more laser noises on the on the podcast maybe i can i could just put an extra track tracker beam on the like the audio file that's just constant laser noise yeah wait you you don't do that? Well, at least <laughs> at least when we're talking about like how God interacts with us, just do a direct laser beam directly to
Are you ready? Okay. Three Dogs North are Juice, Seabisk, and Michael Metz. Conversations have been edited to sound smarter. Audio and transcripts of this episode are exclusive property of Mundelein Seminary and may not be rebroadcast without the express written consent of Major League Baseball. Good girl.